Amen. 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 It is. I don't know if did it says co-ed. It is co-ed. I don't know yes. if you know that. Okay, good. All right. Well, hey, we're going to do a baby dedication. So Brian and Rachel, would you bring your beautiful little girl up here and family that wants to come up? Uh, when, when the Bible says, be fruitful and multiply, they obeyed. And uh, their story is a beautiful love story. I remember Rachel, um, basically the first time she came here, uh, didn't really know who Jesus was. And she got saved in uh, just a wonderful, wonderful woman, uh, Blake and Braxton, great big brothers. You get to be big brothers. You, have, you can have a reason to beat kids up that want to date your sister. Um, that's not true. Don't listen to me. Um, but uh, anyhow, just the whole family, Pastor Rob and Megan, so good to see you guys. Amen. We should do baby dedications more often. Church attendance doubles. Amen. That'd be good. But what a beautiful, beautiful little girl. Uh, so excited to be able to do this. And uh, why we dedicate a child. Uh, Hannah and Samuel. Hannah, the lady in the Bible, got a baby and she, she prayed for a baby and finally God blessed her. And she brought Samuel to the church. She's like, God, if, if you give me a, a boy or a son, I will dedicate him to you. And when he was old enough, uh, she brought him and left him at the church. Sure glad we don't practice that anymore um, because we done raised our kids. And, uh, but you bring her and dedicated. Uh, Mary and Jesus. Jesus was dedicated. Uh, and so why do we dedicate a baby? Well, I believe that Kennedy has a purpose. That, that God knew about her before these two even met. Okay, that she has a reason and a purpose, and that's why we dedicate her. Proverbs 22, 6 says, raise up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. Um, it doesn't say anything about the in-betweens. Some of you may have some kids that are they're off doing their own thing. Just keep praying. Um, now, Kennedy, the Bible also talks about discipline. She will never need discipline. Because she's so sweet. I mean, just, just the way that it is. Uh, so first, we recognize that a child is a precious gift from God to us. And they don't really belong to us, but him. Secondly, we release our ownership of our children to him, understanding God is responsible for the way in which each child is designed and knows the plan and purpose for their future. Kennedy has, she'll have a personality. She'll have different things that you're in love with and other things you're like, why? All right. And, and God can use all of those, okay, because she has a gift set, and, and you're going to see the gift set, and you're going to sometimes, it, what, what is a gift set, it looks like a curse, okay, if they're hyperactive or they're always doing crazy things, it probably means they're a leader, okay, so you channel that in the right direction, oh, she smiled, did you see that, that is not gas, that was a legitimate Holy Ghost filled smile. Uh, third, we realize that God has left it up to you to show him his ways. Okay? And that's really, we're dedicating her, but it's a challenge to the parents and the family. I know this family. They love Jesus. They love Jesus. I have no concerns. There are some times that I do baby dedications that I'm like, Lord, please, please bless them. This family, I have no, no concerns whatsoever because they're all in love with Jesus and they're going to live a great example okay, in front of her. So a challenge to parents. And it's up to parents to prove that I'm sorry, prove to your children that serving God works. It's your responsibility to live Jesus in front of her. It's your responsibility that when you have your little moments in marriage, which you guys are kind of still newlyweds, but you will eventually, after like 10 years, have some moments um, where you don't see eye to eye on things, that, that when you have those moments that you apologize in front of her, like mommy, daddy, we're kind of at each other. And it's so important because kids, they, they, you know, they feel tension. But when you can say, hey, I was wrong or I overreacted, such an important thing for her to know that relationships can be a little rough, but can be restored for grace. So will you live Jesus, family, will you live Jesus in front of her so that when she grows up, she knows that serving God works? Yes. Amen. 
All right. I want to, yes, that everybody. Okay, good. I was just, I saw a couple of nods. Amen. Hey, church family, as Kennedy grows up in here, will you tell her she's beautiful? Because she's going to be. But every little girl in our church family needs to hear it. Amen. Because every little girl is beautiful. Every young man, you tell, hey, you're a good looking guy. They, they need that encouragement. So church is a place that they go to say, I can get some affirmation. Will you live Jesus in front of her? Yes. Thank you. Well, let's pray for her. Father, thank you. Now, I'm going to put my hand there. If that's okay, God, I thank you so much because Brian's my family. Rachel's my family. I just pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would be with little Kennedy. And I know that she has a great purpose and you have a great plan for her. I'm excited to see what, what becomes of her, Father, as she grows up. And we just pray for your protection over her, for your guidance. I pray you fill her with the Holy Ghost, Father, from, from this time for today on, this should be full of you. And we love and give you thanks. Give her a compassionate, kind heart toward others. And I believe that she will have that because her parents do. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, you can, look, she smiled again. Ah, I love it. Amen. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for being here. Pastor Rob Mangan, so good to see you guys here. And uh, wonderful to wake it up. It's perfect. Amen. There used to be a day where, where I would hold the babies. And after preaching with wet arms, you just kind of quit learning to do that. But uh, no, I don't think that ever happened. Well, kids, you guys can be dismissed. The kids are first through sixth grade. Uh, you guys can go. And then again, in a couple of weeks, you'll see our reopening plan for our nursery and for our disciple land. Uh, ladies, if you have a child that needs nursery care, you, the, the nursery is unlocked. So you can go in there and change a diaper if, if they're screaming. Uh, you can do that. Just so you know, it's been disinfected and all that. So, well, amen. Well, let's get into this. You guys ready for the word of God? I hope so, because you're going to get it. Amen. So uh, I do want to just tell you something that um, we're dealing with as a family. My, I'm going to probably cry. I told myself not to, but my brother, my older brother, Mike, um, he's the doctor. He got uh, diagnosed with a brain tumor uh, last night. So um, anyhow, be praying for him, please. He's just two years older than me, and we're going to Salt Lake right after church because they're supposed to do the surgery tomorrow. So, uh, <laughs> you know me, I'm, I'm just real with you because you're my family. So I'm, some of you probably were like, what's up with his eyes? It's like, I've been crying a lot. Um, so that's, that's our reality right now um, is they don't really know what's, what to expect. They're not even doing a biopsy. They're just going to go in and see what's up. So, <laughs> I'm going to cry. I know that. Um, and, uh, and that's okay. And I don't, I don't do it for sympathy. I do it because you're my family and... I just always try to be real. And uh, Chris wanted, she's like, maybe Pastor Chase should preach. And I was like, I'll be fine, which was a complete lie. Um, <laughs> but that's our reality right now. Um, again, just, he's dedicated his life to seeing people healed. And so I just pray that God would heal him. Amen. And uh, so just, I know you'll bear with me, but I just wanted to tell you, if you saw me get emotional and start crying during the message, you wouldn't freak out. Um, <laughs> there's, there's always a reason for what happens. But like I said, God, God is bigger than what you face. He really is. So I'm speaking today out of kind of a broken heart. Um, at the same time, a heart full of faith that God's going to do a miracle. I mean, that's what I'm believing and that's what we're believing. So anyhow, with that, um, John 21, because <laughs> I didn't want you to go, he's emotional today. What's his problem? Um, you know me, I'll tell you my problems and I'll tell you your problems too. Um, all right. <laughs> Let's do this. So my title today is, uh, is where, where's your focus? Where is your focus? And uh, I didn't know when I prepared this last week 
um, you know, what, what I would be speaking on the night before. And, um, and, and a lot of you in this place have had your moments where, you know, you were just living life and something happened and just got home from prayer and, um, and my dad called. So it's just, uh, that's my reality. And again, a lot of you are, have lived through a lot of tough stuff and you're, and you're going to make it. Amen. We will make it through this. I promise you that. Why? Because God is faithful. And then we just pray for his will to be done. So where is my focus? We're going to finish up the series today in John chapter 21. Uh, last week we talked about the worry and the waiting and how we go through seasons in life where we just don't know what's happening. Uh, things that we have no control over that we spend a lot of our emotional energy worrying about. And, and they say, you know, most of the stuff that you worry about never happens. You know, but, but you worry about it and you get emotional about it. And, and guys, that's just natural human nature. We just, we're just prone to that. Um, and so we're looking through Peter's life and we look through, uh, it's the last 40 days after Jesus, if you haven't been here, uh, Jesus came out of, the, out of the tomb, but he was on the earth for 40 more days. So we're talking about some of the events that happened during those 40 days. And last week he talked about, uh, you know, where he dealt with T- Thomas, just doubting Thomas. And he's like, Thomas, you need to quit doubting. I'm here. Here's the holes. Here's the holes. I'm here. Now get your life right with God. Keep going. Today he's going to deal with Peter. And uh, just because it appears that something is over doesn't mean that it is. And, and that's where we dealt with last week with Peter thinking that because Jesus passed away that his purpose stopped and it didn't, okay, because, because Jesus came back. But a lot of times uh, when, when it doesn't turn out the way we think it's going to turn out, our, we think our purpose is gone. And, and God had a bigger purpose than Peter had any clue was happening. And Peter's job was to stay faithful. Um, and so it didn't turn out the way that it looked. He thought, again, Jesus was going to be the conqueror of the Romans. And he was going to sit on a physical throne in Jerusalem. And Peter would get to be with him. And it didn't turn out the way that he thought. And so he's like, I'm going to go back fishing because that's all I know. And so my challenge last week was when we don't really fill our, our void with God, we go back to what's familiar. And what's familiar can be fatal. And and God has a a different plan for Peter. Peter just doesn't know it yet. And so uh, Jesus is about to have a talk with Peter. And Peter, again, he's he's emotional. We talked about him. He's just up and down. He's always doing crazy stuff. And he thinks it's over, but, but that's where Peter's at. And Jesus is about to have a talk with Peter that it's not over. This is really just the beginning of Peter's purpose. But Jesus has to clear some stuff up with. So the problem was that Peter's perception wasn't reality. His perception was Jesus died, life's over, I'm going to go back to what I know. And, and that wasn't reality. And, and if you watch the news, you'll understand that perception isn't always reality. <laughs> it's really true. What, what they put out there isn't always what's real. Uh, has anybody ever been to uh, Warren and Annabelle's in Maui? Oh, good. A whole bunch of people. All right. Warden Annabelle's great, great magician. Yes, I use the word magician in church. Um, should I say great deceiver? Because that doesn't sound very good. And, and so he's a, he is a great magician. I mean, he, he has like a bowling ball come out of a top hat. And you're like, what? How did that happen? So I know there's a, a trick for everything he does. There, there's a reason. If they show it to you, you're like, oh, okay, that's how it happens. So after the show, because my parents have been there so many times, they know him. And, and they were, we were talking. It was just me and my mom and dad and him. And so he, he pulls this two coins out of his pocket, like silver dollar coins. I mean, they're heavy and, and he says, hey, hold out your hand. So I held out my hand. Now you're talking preacher, right? Pentecostal preacher, like, ain't believing in no magic. And he puts, puts these, hand, these two coins in my hand. He said, close your hand. So I closed my hand. He says, open your hand. I opened my hand and there was one. Seriously, I was like, 
what? Um, uh, it, was, it was my introduction to demonic activity at that point. No, I was like, what in the heck? And he just laughed and took the coin. I was like, what just happened there? Because I understand you doing a trick with your sleight of hand, but this was my hand. And I still don't know how, somehow one coin went into the other coin. There is no coin floating through my body. Uh, and and I, I, I was like, okay, perception is not real. Because what I just perceived, what I just felt wasn't real. That I know one didn't disappear, but somehow, some way it happened. And I don't know, I can't explain how it happened. Now, if he would show me and say, here's what actually happened, then I'd think, oh, pff, of course, everybody knows that. But then nobody would go to a show. Peter is at this place where perception isn't always reality. And we need to understand that in our world, what we see going on in our world that seems so crazy, God has a whole thing orchestrated. It's all under control. There's nothing going on that, that God's like, oh, wow, I didn't see COVID. Jesus, what do we do? Because this wasn't in the script. What now? It's always been in the script. God knows exactly what he's doing with our country, with our leaders. He knows what's going on. And that's why I don't walk in fear over it. Do I still sanitize my hands? Sure, I get fuel. I sanitize. But you know what, guys? I do that during flu season. I don't like throwing up. I don't like missing church because of the flu. Matter of fact, when I get sick, it's usually on my day off and I'm thankful. Like, I think that it's today and not on Sunday, not on a real day uh, where I have to go to work. So we do do what's necessary, but we don't have to be afraid. Um, Now, if you're at risk, be safe, be smart. I'm not saying be flippant. Don't be flippant. But there's certain things I think that we fear that we don't need to. So last week we touched on the importance of obedience, even when you don't understand or when it doesn't make sense. When Jesus said... If you were here, throw the net on the right side of the boat. Remember, they fished all night on the left, and Jesus is like, hey, throw the net on the right side. And they're like, okay, whatever. They did, and they caught 153 big fish. Didn't make sense. Why? Because there's only a few feet difference. Uh, but it, it doesn't matter whether you understand what you're facing. What matters is, is that, you, that you obey. So obedi- obedience is a real, real important thing. God seldom tells us to understand, but he always tells us to obey. And Peter doesn't realize it yet, but everything, well, get this. Everything that he has gone through is preparing him for what's next. I hate that statement, and I wrote it. Well, God probably spoke to me, okay? I don't like that statement because I'm like, God, I don't want to be prepared for what, I mean, I want to be prepared, but I don't want to be prepared for what's next. Like, I don't know what's next. God, what's next? God doesn't tell you what's next. You know why? Because you would run the other direction. You know why God doesn't reveal a lot of things before you get married? Because <laughs> you never get married. <laughs> You'd be like, I got to deal with that? Uh, yeah, no, right? Can you imagine if you could see like a, you know, worst, like the top 10 worst fights in your marriage, if God would get the DVR and give it to you before the wedding? Top 10 fights? You would be like, yeah, no thanks, right? No thanks, because you just wouldn't, right? You'd be like, ah, God doesn't show you everything, but there's a reason that he does it. And that's where Peter's at. I've told you this before, God's doing something in your life right now that you know nothing about yet. If you're frustrated with things, what I would encourage you to do is make the best of today. So let's get into this, uh, Matthew. Is it Matthew? No, it's a John. I'm in the wrong book. We go into Matthew in a little bit. John chapter 21. All right, verse 15 through 19. Um, Jesus made breakfast, all right? And they're, and they're like, is that Jesus? Is that Jesus? And John's like, yeah, that's Jesus. Peter jumps out of the boat, catch the fish. They go up, they're eating breakfast. And, and I heard a pastor one time say, I had to write it in my Bible. He said, it had to be in the most awkward breakfast in history where you have all these disciples that ran from Jesus and now he's making them food and they're, just, they're eating like, what do we say? Because we really screwed up here. Like we ran, we, we didn't believe. We weren't even at his resurrection. He said three days and we weren't there what do we do? And they're just kind of eating 
politely, quietly. So it had to be super awkward. When they finished eating, Jesus said, verse 15, to Simon Peter, he's going to hurt Peter's feelings here. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. No, there's nobody that knows what these he was referring to. If you, if you study it, there's, Jesus never says what these were. Was he pointing at nets? Was he pointing at a fishing boat? Was he pointing at the other disciples still you know, eating some scraps around the camp? We don't know what he was saying these two. Do you truly love me more than these? Because you can research it. There's some guesses, but nobody says this is what Jesus said. We don't know what it was. And I think maybe Jesus left it that way on purpose because these can mean a lot of things in our lives. But Jesus always knows the answers to the questions that he asks. He's asking for the benefit of the person to make them think about the answer. So whatever Jesus was referring to, it all comes down to commandment number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I spoke King James. Do you get that? Thou? Do you feel a little holier when you say thou? Kind of does, right? You feel a little good because that's how you, if you grew up in church, I grew up on King James Bible. So thou shalt have no other gods before me. So whether it was boats or nets or other disciples, because we can make people a God, Jesus is making sure that he is number one here. Okay? And he's asking in this question. Now he asks the question again. He says, feed my lambs. Okay, if lambs are, are baby sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The second time he uses the word phileo, which is like a brotherly love, the city of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Phileo, he says, yes, I love you like a brother. Jesus, you, you know that. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. He was basically saying, you're going to be a pastor. I need you to learn to love people, take care of people. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt. This is where Peter's feelers get hurt. Because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he's, again, his, his definition of love is only what he understands. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Again, referring to take care of people. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And John tells us in verse 19 that Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now, Peter would end up getting crucified for his faith in Christ, upside down. Because he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way as my Lord. Uh, historians, not, not in the Bible, but historians, if you go back, you see that, that, they, that they write that Peter's wife was crucified with him as well. Only they crucified her first. There's a, a dialogue with, with what happened in that situation that Peter's wife actually got crucified as well. And, and, and Peter was talking to her as she was being crucified. So, I mean, that's a pretty heavy thing. And, and I don't believe really that Peter understood what Jesus was referring to. I think John figured it out after it happened. He was like, oh, that's what Jesus meant by saying somebody's going to lead you where you don't want to go. Because uh, I don't believe that, that Jesus would say, okay, Peter, here's exactly how you're going to die. It's, you're going to get crucified like me upside down because Peter would have lived the rest of his life in fear. He would have, you know, I'm going to stay fishing. Like I said, I don't think God reveals a lot of things to us because of what we'll face. Um, but John's remembering back as he's on the island of Patmos. He's the only one basically that didn't get martyred for the gospel. John's like, can I just go home? And God's like, no, I'm not done with you. Okay. Gets banished to the island of Patmos, writes a bunch of gospels. And so, all right. So he says, follow me, follow me. Because you ran, Peter, and now I need you to follow me. Let's talk about this for a little bit. 
I hate to be the one to break it to you, but I'm your pastor, I'm your friend, but Jesus is more concerned about your faithfulness than he is your feelings. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, and, and God really cares about your feelings more than anything else. Uh, matter of fact, God does care about your feelings, but he cares more about your faithfulness. And our world is way overboard concerning people's feelings. Let me just tell you, we're way overboard. Should we care? Absolutely. Can we care too much about people's feelings? Absolutely. As parents, if you care too much about your kids' feelings, you will never spank them. You will never discipline them. You will never tell them no. Can we have ice cream for dinner? Sure. Why not? It could be, if you like care, care too much about their feelings, that's not good parenting skills. And there is nowhere in the Bible that says God puts your feelings first. No, what he puts first is obedience. And when we obey, what I find is I feel pretty good about it most of the time. There's sometimes that you obey and you're like, because I really want to honk at that guy right now. Or I really want to show him what Idaho looks like when you cut somebody off with a gun. I mean, that's, right? that's, that's what I do. And, uh, and, 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 and yeah, that's a bad thing because you get richer than his feelings. And I wrote here, sometimes your feelings have to get hurt in order for progress to happen in your life. Let me say that again. Sometimes your feelings, I should have made a slide out of this one. I try not to do too slide heavy. Sometimes your feelings have to get hurt in order for progress to happen in your life. And the next time you discipline your kids, you can just quote me. Say, this is coming from Pastor Stan. I didn't think about it, but a wise pastor once said, as I'm about to whip your tail very long, you heard a lot of my stories growing up. Um, some of you have never heard the story about the, the time I discovered I needed deodorant. And, and I was chasing my little brother and we're running through the house and my mom, I ran by her and she stopped me. She's like, whoa. She's like, you stink. She was so tactful. She wasn't like, oh, Stanley, come here. We got a little, have a little talk. She was like, you stink. I was like, mom, right? And, and she introduced me to right guard. So not only did she tell me I smelled, she was a part of the solution. Now it's easy to tell people they smell. It's easy to, to point out what's wrong with people, but to be a part of the solution is a whole different thing. And my wife is eternally thankful to my mom for hurting my feelings at 12 years old. That body odor was a real thing. Because here's what I found. When you stink, you often don't notice it because you're used to it. And sometimes you need people to tell you what it is that we need to change. Okay? But it feels good to be faithful. It feels good to be tempted to do the wrong thing, but to do the right thing. Do we ever feel good having done the wrong thing? And <laughs> somebody's like, yep, feels pretty good. But not really if you have half a conscience. Right? If you have half a conscience, being honest about stuff, you'll usually have a pretty good thing when you have like, okay, we did the right thing. Uh, Travis and I have, my son, we found a couple wallets um, in our time together when he was little. And one particular wallet we found uh, had no money. It, no, I'm sorry. It did have, had three bucks, had three bucks in it. And, uh, and so we put five in it, a $5 bill, and we turned it into the sheriff's office. And uh, so anyway, a couple weeks later, I went into the sheriff's office, and, and I asked, I said, I ever find his wallet? She goes, yeah, and he said there was more money in it than when, when, than, than when he dropped it. <laughs> I was like, cool, right? And so we found another one a couple years later, and we did the same thing. We put more money into it. Don't know the results of that one. Uh, but it was kind of a fun thing to do. Now, I felt much better about that than the time that I actually took all the cash out and handed the wallet in. You know me, I didn't do that, right? Uh, but but we, it feels good to do the right thing. And Peter knows he did the wrong thing and Jesus is about to try to get him to do the right thing. Uh, but Peter's getting squirmy here because I think the failure is still so fresh. And anytime we have failed, anytime we are hiding something or we know that, man, we didn't do the right thing and the person that maybe that we offended is touching it or getting close. 
We, we get kind of squirmy, and I think Peter's squirming here because he knows just days, weeks before, he, he denied Christ, he lied, he denied, he justified, he ran. I mean, he did all these things that he said he wouldn't do. Like, Jesus, I'm going to die with you at the end. And then all of a sudden, they're like, I don't know the guy. You know, Peter's just, he's everywhere. And, and now, what's Jesus doing? He's saying, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I just answered the question. You know I love you. And then the third time, Jesus said, do you, do you love me? And Peter's like, he's talking about my past. He, he's, he's bringing up my past. He's bringing up the fact that I lied, I denied, I ran, I justified how I lied because I don't know the guy. And, and Peter's just like, this is really awkward for me. Now, here's what I have never found. And if you have found it, let me know. I have never found a verse in the Bible that says, and Peter apologized to Jesus for abandoning him. And Peter apologized to Jesus for denying. I don't find one verse, okay? Now, if you find it, let me know because it could be in there, but I know the Bible pretty well. I haven't seen it, but if you've seen it, let me know. But it doesn't ever say that Peter did, and I find that kind of interesting. Could he have? Possibly, but there's nothing recorded that I have found that says that he just completely profusely apologized. Did he cry when he got caught? Yeah. When Jesus looked at him, when he denied knowing him, and he went out and he says he bawled, maybe that was some sort of an apology, but I don't ever see Peter actually apologizing to, to Jesus for that. And I think Peter felt terrible about it. And Jesus is like clear in the air here. He's like, okay, let's just get this all on the table. Is anybody like me that when there's something that it's, you just know something's wrong, you just like all the cards out there. I'm like this. I'm like, just tell me, I just want to know everything. Cause, cause we may be disagreeing, but at least I know where you stand. I just throw the cards on the table. Let's talk it out. It's good. And I think that's what, what Jesus is doing here. So Peter's purpose is Jesus is making it clear is feed my lambs, feed the kids, feed the, feed the young people. And then he says, take care of my sheep. Take care of those who love me. Take, Peter, you're going to be a pastor. I know you don't see it right now. I know because you're kind of wallowing in your field. I know you went back to fishing. You went back to what was familiar, but I have a greater plan for you. And, and the stuff that you've learned, the stuff that you've done, the, even the wrong things are going to play into your purpose. Peter, I believe in you. You've got to start believing in yourself. And that may be what God is talking to you about today, is about believing in yourself. Even when you have failed, even when you have done the things that, that you know you shouldn't have done, Jesus still believes in you. If Jesus can restore Peter, don't you think he can restore you? Absolutely. And he wants to. That's the crazy part, is he wants to restore you. He doesn't reluctantly. It's not like you bring your wrecked life to God, and God goes, oh, boy. <laughs> boy, you're a fixer-upper. In fact, you're a total. Yeah. If I was an insurance adjuster, I'd put total on your car. And Jesus is like, that's a, that's a tough one. I'm not sure we can rebuild. That, that is never a conversation between God and Jesus. Ever, ever, ever. No matter how totaled your car is, your life, God looks at it and says, I can do something with that if you bring it to my shop. I can fix it. I can fix it. So what, what, what you might see as a total, God sees as a restoration project. And restoration projects always take a long time, right? They do. But there's something about a restored vehicle that we like. And you see an old classic. I saw some this last week. Just, man, man that's cool. Somebody put a ton of time into that old truck or that car. Man, that's amazing. That's what gets our attention. So if you were a fixer-upper or a total collision and, and God has rebuilt you, you're like the shining one. You're like the shining one. You're not like the average sedan that really hasn't got in, you know, much of a life mess. But when God looks at what he's done in your life, that's a bright light. And that's what he's about to do to Peter. So I hope it gives you some hope if you feel like, man, my life's just been screwed up and messed up and God can't do anything. No, 
like I said, when you, when you mess up, fess up, and then God will dress you up. Man, I had that. I just came out. Um, all the leaders like, yeah, I dress us up on some of you guys. Um, how many of y'all like to dress up? How many, how many men don't like to? You just wear your old beater pants if you could to church. My hand is up in the air. Both hands are up in the air. I wear my Kirkland jeans and my white T-shirt if I could, but my wife won't let me. Amen. You do what the wife says. So throw all the cards on the table. All right, let's keep going. Peter's purpose, feed my lambs. You're going to do something great. The amazing thing about Jesus is he desires to make a miracle out of the mess if we're simply willing to repent and be available. So he's like this, Peter, you failed. (laughs) You failed. That's out of the way. Now what? And you need to ask yourself that question sometimes. Okay, I failed. Now what? Now what? Is is God going to just keep me pinned down? No, God's going to convict you so you'll get it right. And when you get it right, then he could give you like back on your purpose. That's the whole purpose of of God convicting us and making us feel bad about sin is so he can make us into what he wants us to be. So Peter's feelings are hurt. Jesus again tells him how his life is going to end. I don't think he understands. And then he says again, verse 19, an exclamation point, follow me in every aspect of your life because you're either running to God or you're running from God. There is no neutral today. Today in our church, online, you're either running to God or you're running from God. There is no middle ground. There is no standstill, okay? There's slight pauses, but you're either going to God or you're going from God. Where are you at today in your life? In verse 20, the story totally shifts here. All right, they're walking along the beach, I believe, because of what Jesus says. And here's what Peter does. So Jesus is having this deep conversation with Peter. And, and he's like, hey, follow me, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And Peter's feelings are hurt. And then Peter turns around and he sees the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. Now, who's the writer of the book? The writer is John. Who was the disciple that Jesus loved? We all know it was John. Okay. He, he's talking about himself and he's a little bit like Blake Shelton on The Voice where he's going, <laughs> me, me. He's pointing at himself like, I'm John, I'm the one that Jesus loved. And Peter, he's following Jesus and Peter. And Peter turns around and Peter grabs his binoculars. And Peter, he says, what about him? What about him, Jesus? What about John? They'll look at him. What about John? And Jesus is like, what about John? Let's look at it. I am ad-libbing a tiny bit, but here's what Jesus says. Because of this, a rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple, this disciple John, would not die. But Jesus didn't say he wouldn't die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until return, what's that to you? And then John says, I, I wrote this stuff down. So here's what I find is Jesus gave Peter a magnifying glass to look at himself. And Peter picked up the binoculars to look at someone else. See, when things got kind of sketchy with Peter, he's like, yeah, I'm going to grab these because it's a lot easier to point out your problems when I'm trying to deal with my own or when I I need to deal with my own because it's so much more fun to look through these and go, oh, hey, look, oh, you have issues. Me, I need a smaller magnifying glass because I don't have issues. And Jesus is, he's saying, you you know, Peter, you're, you're looking at the wrong person. We're not talking about John. We're talking about you. Peter's like, what about him? Jesus, like, what about him? You ever met somebody like that? You ever talk with them about some things that need to change and they throw it back on you? That's called marriage. <laughs> you, you ever been there? Y'all laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. You ain't married, you don't know yet. But you get married and, and our, our particular church body, we don't deal with that, but the church down the road, I, I know the pastors in our town, they talk about this and, and there's like a husband needs to bring something up that his wife did that bothers him and so he brings it up and she all of a sudden, she like, 
you know, he comes to her with like a thimble and she has like a bucket of this is all, this is what you did. And, and all of a sudden you're not even fighting about the thing that you brought up originally. It's like the whole 50 years of your marriage, you're drug up all this. As a matter of fact, if you married 50 years, you probably don't do this. Um, let's say two years. And, and you're dredging up all this stuff that the problems are what they need to change. And, and that's what Peter is doing here. Why is he doing that? It's called deflection. It's called human nature. I want you to imagine, because it should be baseball season right now, and there's a professional, they call timeout. Pitching coach goes out there and says, hey, man, he goes, you know, you're, you're overextending a little bit. You're doing this. And the pitching, the pitcher goes, well, let's not talk about me. Let's talk about you. I saw how you were talking to your wife before the game. Dude, you got some issues. And I saw her reaction. And your kids, your kids are crazy. Can you imagine what the pitching coach would do if they were mic'd up in a real game where the pitching coach comes to tell the pitcher what's wrong and the pitcher just throws it back on the coach? Like, this is your issues? What would happen? They'd probably yank the guy right out of the game, okay? And, and yet in our lives, a lot of times we'll do that. Somebody will mention something like, hey, and they do it out of love, out of sincerity. This, this could change. And you want to just say, well, what about you? Instead of saying, okay, I, I, there's some things in my life that I need to change. You see, I don't want to deal with my own stuff, but I'm sure willing to point out yours. And it's sure rooted in insecurity. That's what I found. And I wrote something here after I submitted my notes and, and put it in. So I want to read this to you. And you might want to write this down. Um, sorry, it's not a slide, but I'm going to read it a couple times. It might be the only thing you get out of today, but you need to hear it. A secure person welcomes criticism because improvement is more important to them than their pride. Let me say it again. A secure person welcomes criticism because improvement is more important to them than their pride. You know that our pride keeps us from improving? It does, it does me. My pride, because my way is the right way. Right? My way's the right way. This, this, is, this, is, this is my way, and my way's got to be the right way. My, way. my way may not always be the right way, and I have to be okay with that. I have to be willing when somebody confronts me on something to, to say, you know what, you're right. You'd think that Peter would have been just happy that God has given him a second chance here. See, and here's where I want to turn this a little bit. See, if you live your life to point out what's wrong in someone else, it will be a miserable life. I hate to tell you, but criticism is not a spiritual gift. I've seen people, you know, there's, well, it's a spirit of discernment because I've been around Pentecostals my whole life. I am one, but there's some crazy costals out there. I call them crazy costals. You got to watch out. Okay. If they always have a word from God for you, be careful because it, it again, it's got to confirm what God is already doing in your life. It can't be just out of left field. Like, cause well, I just got a word from God for you. It needs to confirm what God is already dealing with. So be careful just because you think somebody is godly doesn't mean that they are. Because I've seen a lot of people try to be godly. And, and the, more, the more people try to be spiritual, in my mind, the less they are sometimes. Okay, Because you shouldn't have to tell anybody how much you love Jesus. If you have to always tell people how much you love Jesus. Like, do, if I have to tell you like every day, hey, church, I love my wife. Hey, I love my wife. I love my wife. I keep posting. I love my wife. I love my wife. I love my wife. You know, what's he hiding? Because he's sure overposting this. How do you want to know I love my wife? You want to know how I treat her. You want to see how I treat her. Right? And hopefully you see that I treat her well. Because that's all the things I post. I don't post the bad stuff. I don't post my sarcasm. Right? I don't post the times where I'm like, uh-oh, shouldn't have said that. It will come out in how I speak. But it's got to line up. Okay? My wife will know whether or not I love her. And Peter is feeling awkward because Jesus is dealing with this thing in his life that he needs to deal with. So Jesus gives us a choice. 
Uh, actually, no, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Dan, sorry. Page 5 says this. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5a, it says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. If you've ever been on an airline, remember those <laughs> when we used to be able to fly? Um, when the oxygen mask comes on, because nobody really pays attention to what the lady's saying anyway. But it comes on. What's it say first? Make sure you have everybody else's oxygen on first before you put yours on. Is that what they say? No, what do they say? Put yours on first, then help other people. First, and then you might be able to see to help him out. In Matthew 7, uh, verse 1, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, and uh, we're going to wrap it up here in just a moment. Never believe a preacher when they say that. Yeah, but where else you got to go? Restaurants aren't open yet, so you're with me. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. It says this, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, what he's saying here is as Christians, the Bible actually says that we are to judge each other in the church, but not in the way that you think judge. What he's saying is, is your motive has to be right. We judge fruit. We say, hey, boy, you stink. You need some deodorant. My mom, can you imagine me quoting my mom? This person, she said, you smell like B.O. Just being judgmental. Well, yeah, because you stink, right? She was speaking truth here. But the motive has to be right. Now, I have been around, who's all been around judgmental people where you feel like all they're doing is looking at my life with these and they're pointing out everything I do. I just lift your hand up because my hand's up. Okay, uh, every single one of us, if, if, you, if your hand didn't go up, you're just oblivious or in denial. Matter of fact, if that's you stand up, we'll show everybody what denial looks like. <laughs> Dr. John Townsend says that all the time. I love that verse. And, and so... Uh, we, we, we're not supposed to judge as in the gavel comes down and do the sentence. We ought to judge the fruits, but the motive has to be right. I need to tell you what I see wrong so that you, we can improve the relationship so that you can be better. So it's not a critical thing. It's again, it's like a pitching coach to a pitcher. He's making a judgment saying, I see something here that your mechanics are off a little bit uh, because I believe in you and you're a great pitcher, but your mechanics are off a little bit. So if you fix this, then you'll pitch strikes. And Jesus goes on. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus is not saying that we're not supposed to help people. I mean, he says, you know, you can take the speck out of your eye, but make sure you don't have a big plank sticking out of yours. Make sure that you look at yourself first and then... You can be clear to help other people. You see, it's hard to be led by someone you feel is lagging behind you. Uh, I had a, a friend, he's with Jesus now, when I was a young youth pastor, and he wanted to be my mentor. I mean, he was like adamant, like, I just want to be your mentor. And, and this man had an addiction to a legal substance. We'll leave it at that. But it was a pretty obvious addiction to a legal substance. And I had my dad, who basically is my mentor, who was just a very godly man, lived life, didn't have addictions, just loved my mom. Um, you know, obviously not a perfect man, but about as perfect as you can get this side of heaven. As he was my, this is what a godly man looks like. And so when I had a man who had some issues, wants to say, well, I just want to mentor you, I, I was a little resistant to it. I was like, well, I... You know, I feel like I might be a little further ahead than you. And I don't know if it was my pride or whatever, but I was like, I'm not sure I want to be mentored by someone who, who's lagging behind me. And again, as a young man, that, it was just, and I don't, I don't want to sound bad. I got the guys in heaven, but you understand what I'm saying is, is I want you to kind of have your stuff together if I'm going to follow you. 
And that's why I believe as a pastor, again, we, we have temptations, we have sins, all right? Pastors are not perfect. And I always hate when somebody says, well, I'm not perfect. Oh, I thought you were. Newsflash. You ever have somebody say that? It should bother you when people say, well, I'm not perfect. <laughs> yeah, we know. It's like the obvious. It's like my, my granddaughter, and she said something the other day about, she goes, when I get old, she's only four. She's like, I'm not going to be a man. I'm a princess. And I was like, you got it right from the mouth of babes. She knows who her identity is, and she is a little princess, probably because I spoil her. But anyways, all too often we spend our time looking or worrying about someone else's actions. And this is natural, but our motive has to be, is key here. Is it coming from a critical spirit or a caring spirit? When somebody points out something to you in your life, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, it's because they care about you. They do. They love you enough to tell you the truth. They love you enough to maybe hurt your feelings a little bit. Now, there are people in this world that they just point out everything because they're just mean, right? Let's just be sure. There's just people, they just love to do it and they're critical about everything. But here's what I want us to leave with. is A truly thankful person doesn't spend his life pointing out what's wrong with others. And I believe that's kind of where Peter's at here in his life. Jesus is having this deep conversation with Peter about his future. And instead of Peter saying, Jesus, I really appreciate that second chance you gave me because I really failed you. I messed this thing up so bad. I, Lord, thank you so much for just having me back. Thank you so much for being willing to talk with me as I'm out fishing and you show up and, I'm on the, and there's this awkward breakfast and I know what I did. And you just make it clear that you believe in me. I would have loved for the story to have turned out that way where Peter was just like, it's not about John. Who cares about John? Let's talk about me, Jesus. Let's talk about where I need to grow. Let's talk about my failures. Let's talk about my, my denial, my running, my, my, all the stuff that I did. You're actually giving me a second chance. Thank you. Thank you for that. But instead, Peter picks up the binoculars and he wants to look at somebody else. Well, what about him? And Jesus is like, we're not talking about him. I love, because Jesus is graceful. I would have loved to find that. And Jesus slapped him across the face and said, boy, come to your senses. That's not what happened. He just said, Peter, 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 focus on you. Focus on you first. Focus on you first. I'll deal with John. John doesn't have a whole lot of issues. Let's deal with you first, okay? It's like Peter forgot about forgiveness. And when you forget about forgiveness or blessings for that matter, you fail to focus. So that's why I titled the message today, Where's My Focus? What am I focused on? Is it where others are failing or is it where I need to improve? And you will find when you focus on yourself and start improving yourself, life will actually get happier. It'll get a little bit better. You can't change the other person anyway. Some of y'all have been trying to change your spouse for years. Ain't working, is it? Is it? No, you cannot change the other person. As much as you try, you can manipulate, but that's not the same as change. It's not the same as change. What can we change? We can change in our own heart. See, when we forget, we become unthankful. And I never want to live in that, that place. Peace does not live in unthankfulness. It can't. Peace does not live in unthankfulness. It can't. So I want us to work on this. Next time someone annoys you, which is probably on the way home, or sin against you, instead of focusing on their failure, ask yourself this question. What do I do or what have I done that is similar to what they just did that annoyed me? This is dealing with myself first. And then ask yourself this question, what have I done or thought that they don't know about and I really don't want them to know about? I probably should just drop it. Because if if God said, hey, I'll let you be mad at your spouse, but I'm going to show them some of the things you thought this week or some of the things you did. You're like, "Uh, yeah, let's just, we're good, we're good, right? 
Because if I'm going to confront somebody on their sin, but my sins are hidden, I have to look at myself and go, okay, is it fair for me to, to focus so much on them when I have my own stuff to deal with? I'm not saying we don't deal with stuff, but I'm saying we need to focus here first. Amen? See, when I worry about me, it will set me free. When I worry about me, it will set me free. So what you approach life either with this, looking at yourself or this, looking at others. Which one does God want us to do? With this first, right? Deal with yourself first, okay? And then when you get yourself dealt with, then you can use this to help other people in their issues when your motive is correct. And so what I want you to understand today, some of you may feel like Peter. Some of you feel like I'm same today forever. If Jesus is willing to reach down and forgive Peter who just freshly denied him, denied even knowing him, not just ran, but not even know the guy. If Jesus is willing to restore that relationship, don't you think he would do the same with you? Absolutely. He could turn your mess into a miracle because that's what God does. Amen. Does this help anybody today? I hope it did. Okay, big thing. So Father, thank you for this day. I pray, Father, in this house today, Lord, when we look at what's going on in our world, that we understand that tomorrow, matter of fact, our next breath is not guaranteed. So church, if you would just keep your heads bowed, this is the moment where we just get real. And my question is, is do you know Jesus today? Not just know about him, just not, okay, yeah, he's real. But have you given your life to him? The Bible says that there is a heaven and there's a hell. I take that very literal. Heaven and hell, two places to go when you die. And if you die without Jesus in your life, the Bible says you spend eternity in hell for your own sins. You pay for your own sins in hell for eternity. That's a long time. But Jesus came and died on a cross to pay for our sins. He became the sacrifice for us. And all we have to do is ask him to forgive us and to come into our life. It's that simple. You're not joining in a church. You're not joining a religion. You're not joining a denomination. You're joining a relationship with Jesus. And if you have never made that decision today and you would like to, I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out, but I do ask you to lift your hand up. Say, Pastor Stan, that's me. I'm here today. I need to give my life to Jesus. I want to know that when I die, I go to heaven. I want my sins forgiven. And maybe you gave your life to him a long, long time ago and you just need to come back. You're so far from God. You've run so far. You just want to come home. That would include you too. But just quickly, is there anybody that just needs to make that decision today? You just lift your hand up again. I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you. I do want to pray for you. Okay. All right. There's a hand in the back. All right. Here's what I like to do as a church family. Let's just pray this prayer together. Just with me and repeat after me, please. Dear Jesus, I believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You prayed that prayer. You meant it. You just got forgiven. Amen. It's that simple. It's that simple. Guys, you don't have to perform to get God's grace. Amen. You just got to give your life to him. We're all, we're all messed up, right? We're all messed up. We're all messed up more than you. We got more dense than, some of us just have a lot of Bondo. Like, there's a lot of dents in there. The Bondo's covering up, maybe nice paint job. But inside, we know, we know that there's, we're, we're messed up. Amen. Well, Pastor John, would you just lead us in a, I kept you a little bit long today.